we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's take God's Word, if you would, and go with me into the New Testament and find, if you would, the book of 1 Peter. We'll begin reading in just a moment in the book of 1 Peter. And we'll look together in the first chapter, 1 Peter chapter number 1. And while you're turning there, let me say congratulations uh, to Douglas and Alana Morningstar on the birth of their first child, Theodore Philip. And of course, Alana grew up here and her dad, Dan, is chairman of our deacons and, and her mom, Mindy, of course, uh, is our pianist. And so uh, they are now grandparents. So when you see them, make sure you address them that way, all right? And let them know how happy you are for them. And uh, I know they're excited to welcome a little... Teddy into the world, and uh, what a blessing that is. We rejoice in all of God's goodness, don't we? And uh, we rejoice with them who do rejoice, and so we're very grateful for God's blessings. We're in the book of First Peter, and God willing, we're going to spend some time there uh, in the coming uh, days as we uh, go through this epistle, this letter, and uh, I want us to look together. We're going to read... Uh, verses uh, one through uh, verses one through ten this morning, and um, but we'll look primarily at verses one through five. <coughs> Excuse me, and um, so let's let's read together the word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus. Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come 
unto you. Let's note verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The Apostle Peter is writing here to believers. And he is writing to believers who we note in verse number 6 were suffering. And in the midst of that suffering, Peter encourages them to rejoice. Now, we might think that's two contradictory things, suffering and rejoicing. And Peter said in verse 6, wherein you greatly rejoice. What are they rejoicing in? They're rejoicing in their salvation. Though now for a season, he said, if need be, ye are in heaviness, through manifold temptations. He tells them that they are to rejoice in their salvation even though they are suffering greatly. They're facing manifold temptations, trials, afflictions, and difficulties. We know that these first century Christians face great persecution. Uh, Peter, of course, was the apostle to the Jews and... uh, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so Peter is writing to those believers, both Jew and Gentile, but his primary audience perhaps is the Jewish audience, those Jewish believers, the Jews who became Christians and faced great persecution. And as Peter mentions, they were scattered abroad. They were forced because of the persecution to leave behind their homes their livelihood, friends, family, acquaintances, and all that they knew, they were forced to leave. And they settled in regions around about. And we see uh, those regions listed here in verse 1, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And they're forced to leave the land of promise and and to settle in Turkey and Greece and Rome and other areas where uh, the persecuted saints settled. And even though they fled Jerusalem and the persecution that they faced there, the Roman emperor Nero was intensifying persecution against all Christians. He had already blamed the destruction of the city of Rome, the fires of Rome, on the Christians. He was persecuting them and torturing them, literally using them as human torches lining the Roman roads. So there was a great affliction, a great trial, a great difficulty going on. And Peter is writing to these who are suffering, encouraging them to rejoice seeking to strengthen them. Now, we know that Peter uh, was told that he would deny the Lord. Of course, Peter was the outspoken disciple. He was a leader of the disciples. 
And the Lord said, you're going to deny me. And he said, and when you are converted, Peter, strengthen thy brethren. After his resurrection, the Lord Jesus appeared to Peter and all the disciples, but he had a conversation with Peter. And three times he asked him the question, do you love me? And Peter answered the question, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the Lord Jesus responded, Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep strengthen thy brethren. And Peter is writing to a weak, weary, discouraged group of believers who are scattered, who are considered to be strangers. Notice the language we find in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout these regions that are mentioned. They're scattered, they're dispersed from their homes, and they're strangers. They weren't strangers to him, but they're strangers to this world. And we as Christians can identify with these scattered strangers because we too have recognized that this world is not our home. Uh, We used to sing a song about it, this world is not our home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open shore, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Every day this world grows darker and darker, more hostile toward Christ. And every day we who know the Lord recognize the fact that we are just simply strangers, dispersed, displaced, with no home here, but we have a home in heaven. And though we face manifold temptations and trials, we can rejoice in the good word of God. Notice, if you would please, in verse 10, speaking of this salvation, he said, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Peter is reminding them that they have the scriptures. And thanks be unto God, We have the Scriptures. And this is a book that tells us of our inheritance in Christ and all of the blessings that we possess. And in the midst of our distresses and the midst of our difficulties, we are reminded of the precious promises of God's Word that point us to our Savior and our eternal inheritance in Christ. That's why Peter can say in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of this affliction, in the midst of this suffering, these strangers who are scattered can praise God. And in verse 6, greatly rejoice. And so I find in this passage, in these opening verses, three truths from God's Word And I've entitled this message, A Strengthening Word to Scattered Strangers. A Strengthening Word to the Scattered Strangers. And uh, there are three truths that we'll draw from these opening five verses. Three truths that will strengthen us as it strengthened them. And here they are. Although they were scattered, they were saved. Do you know the Lord is your Savior this morning? Oh, I hope you do. 
And if you do, that's the greatest need of your life. And that great need has been met by the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, although they were scattered, they were settled. They were displaced. They weren't at home. (laughs) They were living in a strange land where they were considered to be strangers. But nevertheless, though they were dispersed and disrupted in their daily lives, they could still be settled in the fact that as saved people, they have a home in heaven. And then lastly, although they were scattered, they were secure because they were kept by the power of God. Well, I want us to look at these three truths and may God speak to us by his spirit as we consider them. Notice again, if you would please, in verse number two, the Bible says elect. Now, who's he writing to? He's writing to these strangers, Christians that are scattered. They're disrupted, they're displaced, they've been dispersed throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And and Peter reminds them here in verse number two that though they were scattered, they were saved. Notice the word he uses in verse two, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Those who were scattered were saved. That word elect, don't let that be a scary word to you, all right? That word elect, that's a good word. That means chosen. That means loved. (laughs) I have five children, and uh, one of them is known in my family in a particular relationship to my father who is now in heaven. And uh, we would often say, that is Pops, my dad. That's his, that's the chosen one. This particular child is the chosen one. Everyone in my family knows who I'm referring to, especially the chosen one. That's not a term that should scare us. That's a term that we should embrace because that term tells us that we are loved. And that, that's what we all knew about the chosen one, that, that, that my dad had, a, had sort of a favorite. Now, he wasn't supposed to have favorites, but he sort of had one. And, uh, and so we referred to that particular child as the chosen one. Well, I got some good news for you. We're God's chosen ones. We're elect. He loves us. He has placed uh, his grace and favor upon us, and we ought to rejoice in that. Though we're strangers in this world, though we're scattered abroad, God loves us, and he has saved us. Now, John Phillips points out three things that we should consider as the elect, the elect who are scattered, the elect who are strangers in this world. He says God knew who they were. And I want to encourage you today, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what scattering has happened in your life, disappointments, disillusionment, hurt, broken relationships, whatever you're dealing with today, I want to encourage you with this. Though you think you're one among the masses, God knows who you are. He knows who you are. Maybe you've come here this morning, you think, nobody knows what I'm dealing with. Nobody knows the problems I'm having. Nobody cares for me. I want you to know that God knows you and God loves you. Not only did he know who they were, but he knew where they were. He knew exactly where to find them. They weren't lost. They weren't separated from him. 
He knew exactly where they were. And by the way, this morning, I want you to know that God knows exactly where you are. He knows what you're dealing with, what obstacles you face, what pressures you're under, what temptations, what wounds, what hurt, what guilt, what shame. The Lord knows. And then thirdly, Philip says, God has a purpose to accomplish through this trial that you're dealing with. You see, God knows you and he loves you. He knows where you are and he will accomplish his purpose. You know, one of the great purposes that were accomplished through this scattering of the Jews as they were uh, forced to leave Jerusalem is that they, when, when they were scattered, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. God's going to use the scattering in your life to preach and proclaim the message of the gospel. He's going to use the scattering in your life to encourage and strengthen and point people to Christ. He has a purpose. And so here these people are, the elect, the chosen, the loved. And by the way, don't let the doctrine of election be a topic that you just debate, but let's make it one that we declare that God loves us and he desires to save us. In fact, the Lord wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what we know. And we know that salvation is a work of the Father. It is a work of the Spirit and it is a work of the Son. For all three are mentioned in verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ the Son. All three are engaged. All three are involved in this work of salvation. We see that we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So this is something we can understand about election. It is always accompanied by God's foreknowledge. You see, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And God, as an all-knowing God, he doesn't learn anything new. He knows it all from the start. You and I learn little by little, day by day. God knows it all from the beginning. And the Bible says that the Lord has set his affection. He's loved us from the foundation of the world. Why? Because of his divine foreknowledge, the Lord has known us, each of us individually from the beginning. We were in God's heart and God's mind. He knew that we would be born from the beginning. And in God's foreknowledge, God's plan of redemption was already underway. And that plan involved you and I. And God knew that the moment that you and I would hear the message of the gospel and the Spirit of God convict us, that you and I would respond to God's offer of salvation and receive eternal life. So you and I are elect according to God's foreknowledge. Let me give you another example of that. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 the word of God says, for whom he did foreknow. So what comes first? God knew us. He knew us beforehand, right? And he knew that we would receive him and be saved. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. God's plan is that you and I become like Christ. 
And because he foreknew us and knew that we would respond in faith to his offer of salvation, then he has predestinated us, predetermined that we should be conformed to the image of his son. John Phillips explains it this way. God's election of certain members of the human family to become members of the heavenly family takes into full account the response of each individual when confronted by the Holy Spirit with the offer of salvation. Don't let that perplex you. Don't let that trouble you. God, if he's God, knows all things. And he's God, and he knows all things. And because he knows all things, he has chosen us in him. Now, what is the dilemma of such a doctrine? Well, the question might be, does God predestine some to heaven and some to hell? Well, the Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish. Peter answers that for us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We also know that the Bible tells us that God is willing that every man from every place would repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all men to be saved. John stated that Christ's atoning sacrifice is sufficient for all. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, he, speaking of Jesus, he is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, his blood, his sacrifice makes the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, he goes on to say, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, Christ's death on the cross, his atoning sacrifice of his blood was sufficient to pay the ransom for the sins of all humanity. Peter's message at Pentecost demonstrates the sovereignty of God in salvation. But it also demonstrates the responsibility of man. I'd like for you to look there, if you would, Acts chapter 2. Because we see Peter here speaking of election, and Peter who preached the first message of the Christian church. Uh, we see how God is at work in salvation and how that man responds as God works in him to bring him to the place of salvation. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, as Peter is concluding his message, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God, that, that, excuse me, that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So here we see Peter is preaching uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's using the scriptures. He's testifying of Christ. And he is convincing them of the person of Christ. So the message is preached and Christ was revealed. As Christ was revealed, the Bible says in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. So we know that Christ was preached, his person was revealed, and many hearers were convicted. They were pricked in their heart. The Word of God in, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit of God were bringing these men to a point of conviction. They were pricked in their heart. They recognized their guilt. They recognized Christ for who he was, the Messiah, the Son of God, and they recognized their guilt in that it was their sin that put him on the cross. 
And so in response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the drawing work of the Lord, the hearers responded in verse 37 and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? In other words, as a result of what we've heard, what is our responsibility? What should we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter said, repent, turn away from your sin, turn away from your, your selfishness, and turn away from your own self-effort, and turn to Christ. Recognize that he's the Son of God, that he died for you. Turn to Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. Verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. They received this word. They received the Lord Jesus as their Savior, and that day they were saved. Therefore, we conclude that God is sovereign in salvation. And we also conclude that man is responsible for receiving or rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we don't need to allow this term elect to bother us. Oh, it ought to bolster us. It ought to strengthen us. It's not something we need simply to debate. We may not be able to understand every, every piece of it and every part of it, and we might not be able to explain it. But, you know, there are a lot of things I can't really understand and many things I can't explain, but I nevertheless enjoy them and thank God for them. I don't understand how God took the dust of the ground and formed a man's body, do you? I, I don't understand how he, he, he formed that body and then he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and he became not just simply a living body, but he became a living soul. I, I don't understand how that happened, but I benefited from the fact that it did. And I want to say to you that you and I, in the midst of our difficulties, as strangers scattered abroad in this wicked world that hates the Lord, we can rejoice in the fact that we're saved. We are elect. God has chosen us. God loves us according to his foreknowledge, but also through the sanctification of the Spirit, as we see in verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. When Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3, he said, we know you're a master. We, we know that you're a teacher. And Jesus just simply cut to the chase, didn't he? He said, Nicodemus, you're not going to get to heaven. You, you're, you're not going to be saved unless you're born again. Well, Nicodemus didn't understand what that meant. And so Jesus began to explain it to him. In John chapter 3 and verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. There has to be a spiritual birth. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Ghost. You see, the moment that you and I receive Jesus as our Savior, though we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, the moment we receive Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us, and the life of God is imparted to us. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, Peter says that we have been made to be partakers of the divine nature. Paul said, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not I that lives, he said, it's Christ who lives in me. 
So I receive spiritual life as a result of the sanctification of the Spirit. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, if you truly know the Lord Jesus as Savior, you have, a, have experienced a spiritual birth. The Spirit of God has come to dwell within you. He has made old things pass away, and all things are become new. You're a completely different person than you once were. This is a supernatural work of the Spirit. And, and, and uh, John MacArthur in his commentary writes this. He says, sanctification refers to separation, consecration, and holiness. At salvation, the sanctifying work of the Spirit sets believers apart from sin to God. He separates them from darkness to light. He sets them apart from unbelief to faith and mercifully separates them from a love of sin and brings them to a love of righteousness. That's what new creatures do. They don't want the darkness. They don't want the iniquity. Uh, they want to walk in light. They want to walk in truth. They want to please God. Now, they don't always do it, do they? But they desire to do it. John Phillips says this, the Holy Spirit implants in us the divine nature, nurtures us and nourishes us, teaches us the potential of our life in Christ and gives us the power to live that life. The Holy Spirit from start to finish patiently brings us along the way. Aren't you glad for that? He patiently brings us along the way until at last he ushers us in through the gates of glory, there to be with Christ and to be like Christ fully and forever. You see, the day I got saved, the Lord sanctified me by the Holy Ghost. He set me apart. I became his. And he is working in me and through me from that day forward until the day I get to heaven to make me more like Jesus. And so I can rejoice in my salvation. I can rejoice in the fact that I'm elect according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctification of the Spirit. Notice what he says lastly here in verse 2, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. You see, God has saved me. He's changed me. He, he, he's put his love upon me. He's chosen me and changed me so that I might be obedient to him and enter into this covenant relationship with him, the blood of the new covenant under the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. I am under the blood of the new covenant. I am consecrated. I am cleansed, and I am consecrated to a life of obedience to Christ. And so may God help me to serve him. There's something that you and I can rejoice in. Although we're scattered, we're saved. Praise be unto God for this wonderful salvation. Secondly, I want you to see that although they were scattered, they were settled. Although they were scattered, they were settled. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, let me explain it. Look in, again in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. He said, I want you scattered strangers to understand that you have a living hope. That you have a hope that you can embrace, a hope that does not fade away. And that hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
And what do we receive as a result of that? An inheritance. Now, all of us wish we had a rich uncle, don't we? Yeah. In fact, we go to the mailbox every day, just waiting to see if we've got a letter. There's just that thought, you know, when we look at our bills, that maybe one day somebody will leave us some money. Well, I want you to know we got something better than that. You don't have to go to the mailbox to find it. You can go right here to the Word of God. You and I have an inheritance. Now, that was important for these Jewish Christians especially because they'd been dispersed. They thought they'd lost it all. Their livelihood, their inheritance, their connection to home and family, they lost it all, they thought. But Peter said, no, you didn't lose anything. In fact, you got something far better. You have an inheritance. Well, what about that inheritance? Well, notice what he says about it. It's incorruptible. That means it's permanent. You cannot lose it. It cannot be destroyed. It's permanent. And then he said, it's undefiled. It's pure. It cannot be contaminated. It cannot be polluted. Do you know what sin does? It contaminates and pollutes. The devil, and, and he, he is a thief, the Bible says. He's a thief and he's a robber. And do you know what sin does? It, it, it deprives us and robs us of the blessings of God. There are things that God does for us that we just simply don't enjoy. Why? Because of the sin of discontentment, murmuring and complaining. There are precious times of family that God gives us together, but it gets polluted by somebody's attitude or somebody's word or an unforgiving spirit. Marriage relationships are polluted by selfishness. You see, God desires to bless us and has given us so many wonderful blessings, but on this earth, oftentimes they get defiled because of sin. But I'm telling you, our inheritance cannot be defiled. It cannot be contaminated. Our inheritance is perpetual. It, the word here is unfading. It fadeth not away, he says. The, the image, the picture here is of a flower that is fading in its color. It's withering. Uh, many of you just recently bought your wife a dozen roses for Valentine's. Wasn't that very nice of them, ladies, wasn't it? Some of you are wondering where those flowers are. <clears throat> Well, the thought was there, the thought was there, and it's the thought that counts, right? No, that's not what you're saying. It's not the thought, right? And let me tell you, if your husband had, had brought you those beautiful flowers, let me tell you what would have happened. You would have enjoyed the fragrance of them. You would have enjoyed the beauty of them and the color of them. But eventually, they would fade. They would wither. And eventually, you would say, they just need to be thrown out. We have an inheritance that does not fade away. It's perpetual. And then it's preserved. Notice what he says, reserved in heaven for you. That means it's guarded and it is kept. It's watched over. It can't suffer loss. And by the way, when you get to heaven and check in at the front desk and there's no front desk, they won't have lost your reservation. It's reserved in heaven for you. There'll be no mix-ups, no cross-wires. It's there and it's for you. 
You see, they, they were scattered, uprooted, displaced. And that's how we feel in this world oftentimes. And I think God's designed life for the Christian to make us feel more and more that way every day. As we come into an awareness of the brevity and the uncertainty of life, it creates in us a hunger, a desire for our true home, our true inheritance, the one that is settled in heaven forever. So there's a strengthening word to scattered strangers. Though you're scattered, rejoice in the fact that you're saved. Though you're scattered, rejoice in the fact that you are settled. You have an inheritance. And then lastly, we see that they were secure. They were secure. Look at verse 5 who are kept, speaking of the Christian, the believer, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I would imagine these scattered strangers often thought, here I am living in a foreign land under the oppressive regime of Nero. And at any moment, I could be carried away, held into prison. I could be forced to move. I could lose all that I've worked for all my life. And that's the reality that they lived with. And by the way, as our nation becomes increasingly more hostile toward the truth of Christ and the work of the church, you and I are going to face some of these same things. And we may grow concerned that we're going to get lost in it all, that we're going to lose everything. But God says he is keeping us by the power of God. What's more powerful than the mighty arm and the mighty hand of God? It was the mighty hand, the mighty arm of God that delivered the nation of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. And it is the mighty hand of God that keeps you and I. John chapter number 10, let me read it to you. John chapter 10 and verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep, that's my people. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus said, you're in my hand, and no man is able to pluck you out of my hand. Verse 29, my father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And here again, he repeats this phrase, no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. You see, uh, we're in the hand of Jesus and we're in the hand of the Father. We're in both hands. I, I, if you want to get me, you got to break through the hand of the Father and you got to break through the hand of the Son. And I want you to know you'll never be able to do it. Paul said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to pull me, to separate me from the love of God, from the hand of God that keeps me, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And I want to say to you, no matter what you're dealing with this morning, if you know Jesus as your Savior, he loves you. He knows who you are, he knows where you are, and he has a purpose that he's working in your life. You have a settled inheritance, a settled home. That's your destination. That's where your roots are. And you are kept by the mighty power of God. You are secure. You are safe in him. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. One day our faith will become sight, friends. And we'll see exactly all that our inheritance is. And we'll rejoice in the fact that God set his love on us and that he kept us secure and brought us through. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.